Restaurants employ over 15 million people nationwide. And two-thirds of all restaurants are independently owned and not part of big chains. Yet, currently, these small businesses are not represented in government relief negotiations. Roar is working to change that by fighting for relief opportunities for all restaurants. Roar is advocating for an eight-point plan in New York State that will allow restaurants to reopen and rehire when the time comes. Dozens of industry leaders have signed onto this plan, like Namwa Tea Parlor, Field Trip, Momofuku, and many more of your favorites. You can join them at change.org by searching for Roar, Relief Opportunities for All Restaurants. Hello, and welcome to Angry Society. This is the show where we talk about food, food media, and so much more. Well, it's mid to late April 2020, and things are completely different. COVID-19 has ravaged the world's economy, and the restaurant industry has been hit especially hard. To be honest, it's been really hard to think about recording this podcast I've recorded about 68 episodes of A Hungry Society prior to this crisis. And while we always try to dive into deep topics, I usually keep the conversation very conceptual and try to end on a fun note with a set of questions designed to talk about dining and what it means to people. But having a fun conversation about food when so many communities are struggling and people are dying feels incredibly tone deaf. But I still want to have these conversations. And as I looked around, hopelessly, um, I realized that there are people doing incredible work in the food space, including some of my former guests on the podcast. So many of them and other chefs and business owners have sprung into action to help as many people as they can, which has been so beautiful and wonderful to see. So in the effort of highlighting and raising the voices of people who are doing incredible work. Um, I've started to have conversations with people who have started to take action. The interview you're about to hear is with Irene Lee, chef and owner of May May Restaurant in Boston. I interviewed Irene and her siblings, Andrew and Margaret, last year about the release of their book, Double Awesome Chinese Food, which is great if you want to check it out. And we talked about their path from owning a food truck to being nominated for James Beard Foundation Awards and what it was like to run a family business. Irene and I recently spoke about how she's doing during this crisis, what running May May has been like, and starting the Unsung Restaurant Fund, a fund that she and a friend created to highlight the immigrant-owned and run businesses in Boston. It's an amazing initiative that helps get relief to small restaurants, mom and pops, that need it the most and that don't have thousands of Instagram followers, massive email lists, or PR companies to help promote them or their workers. The everyday restaurants that most of us go to order from and engage with much more frequently than fine dining restaurants. I do hope you'll check out the link that's going to be posted with this show wherever you found it, whether that's on heritageradio.com or through my site. I hope you go to the site and donate what you can if you can. And I also hope that you like this interview and you'll check out the newly launched hungrysociety.com as well as the A Hungry Society Instagram page. 
Sending you so much love and thank you for listening. Irene, it is so good to have you on the show again. Um, You know, I wish it was under different circumstances, but I'm always happy to talk with you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Korsha. So first, um, before we get to the Unsung Restaurants Fund, I want to hear from you, like, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Um, Well, I think, as with everyone, every day is a little different. Um, (laughs) There are ups and downs. Um, At Maymay, we are really fortunate that we have some sort of financial wiggle room. And um, just about all of our staff have qualified for state and federal unemployment. Um, And so everyone's really hanging in there. Um, We're just trying to prioritize everyone's health um, and their financial well-being. And I talk to the team every day. Um, We've sort of transformed into like a tech startup. We use Trello and Zoom, and it's it's kind of a funny world we're living in right now. Um, And then the restaurant itself is doing um, bulk takeout during limited hours. So people can come like stock up on dumplings. Um, We're selling toilet paper. Uh, Boston's letting us sell beer and wine. So really, um, everything's different. It's crazy. Yeah, it's um, it's such a wild, wild time right now. Um, but you know, as I said in the intro, the Unsung Restaurants Fund is when when I saw uh, you share a bit of information about it, I like did a cheer. I was so happy um, that someone was thinking about you know the restaurants that don't have the support networks um, that other you know larger restaurant groups may have. So um, I'm actually going to read a quote that was in a great Boston Globe kind of Q&A with you about, you know, why you started the fund. And your quote is, seeing people rally to donate to GoFundMe for some of Boston's top restaurants is great, but it makes you wonder, okay, if LaBernadette has a GoFundMe, who is going to help everyone else? Um, yeah. So I, I want to hear from your perspective, you know, um, getting this running and kind of the impetus for starting this fund. Yeah, so Unsung Restaurants really came out of this feeling that I know many people have had, which is as we're seeing sort of the top restaurants that have big social media followings communicating with the public about what they're doing, how they're pivoting, um, there's a notable absence of the voices of our sort of immigrant restaurant owners, the mom and pop restaurants. Um, And these are usually places that we all really rely on, um, but we may not have the sort of connection to them during this time when a lot of us are just interacting with restaurants online. So I think of a couple places. There's this um, diner around the corner from Maymay called the Busy Bee. Um, They only take cash and they make the best fried clam plate of all time. And (laughs) I have no idea how to get in touch with them. Um, Mm. They don't have Twitter. They don't have Facebook. I have no idea how they're doing. And I know that they're also a small family business. I also think about my favorite Vietnamese restaurant in the Super 88 food court called Pho Viet. They have an Instagram, but I think the last post was from over a year ago. Um, And, you know, they have such a huge following, but I don't know how we're getting in touch with them. Um, Are people in the loop about how they're doing? And there's been so much generosity flying around. I wanted to make sure that some of it was getting captured for these restaurants that maybe don't have the reach that a restaurant like Maymay or, you know, an even bigger restaurant group has, and that we're really not forgetting about 
these businesses. Um, because I think we all know that a lot of restaurants are going to close. And it would just be really sad, I think, for everyone, um, for diners broadly, um, if these restaurants weren't able to make the kind of comeback that we're hoping to make. Yes, I think it's um, so incredible. You you touched on it there in your answer about how we have more interaction with these smaller mom and pop immigrant run restaurants, but you know, you know, La Bernadette's GoFundMe is La Bernadette, a meal there is like once in a lifetime for most people or right. never in a lifetime for, for most people for being completely honest. So why is it that, you know, the, the like visible platforms have been some of the most like out of reach restaurants for, for most people? Yeah, I think that a lot of it has to do with social media and kind of PR. And do you have someone whose job it is to make sure that people don't forget about you, Um, Mm -hmm. that they're getting your newsletter, they're seeing your ads, they're seeing your posts. Um, And, you know, speaking from my own experience, a lot of small businesses are so busy just hanging on and getting all the work done, um, that we're not thinking about bigger pieces like that kind of strategy at that level. And, you know, the truth is everyone's hurting right now. Like I have no doubt that the employees of even the finest restaurants um, are struggling and have different challenges that they're dealing with. Um, But certainly in Boston, we know that the neighborhoods where most restaurant workers um, come from or where many restaurant workers live are being very hard hit by the virus. And so just hoping that there is a way to at least reach the business owners and hopefully the workers um, who we would love to be able to return to work eventually. Mm-hmm. And so what has the reception been like? Um, like, have you heard from a lot of these restaurant owners, like, you know, about how it, the help that they need or, you know, what they hope to see in the future? We've been able to get in touch with a lot of restaurant owners, which has been really awesome. We have a small team of folks who are providing translation services for us, too. So there are some Cantonese-speaking restaurant owners, some Spanish-speaking restaurant owners, um, and we have tried to reach out to them in their first language um, to have this kind of awkward conversation, which is like, hey, I'm a stranger, and there's a stranger on the internet who wants to give you money. Um, Very kind of uh, scammy sounding. And so in reaching out to these businesses, we've tried to just make it as easy as possible for them to say, yes, I want to be included. And here's where you can send my money. Um, So we've had about 10 businesses like officially sign on. But we also set up the fund so that anyone could write in the name of any restaurant. And we would take on the task of figuring out how to get in touch with them um, and then how to get the money to them. And for me, that was really important because we didn't want to rely on people's existing networks, um, to rely on, you know, the sort of cult favorite um, local businesses. We want to make sure that any business anyone loves will, will figure out a way to get that cash to them. Of course, we have also run into this wall where a lot of restaurants are completely closed. Um, And so I don't know if it's going to come to like me driving by and stuffing an envelope of cash under the door. Um, If it comes to that, I will totally do that. Um, But of course, it has been a challenge to get all of that communication done. Um, But the reception has been wonderful and it felt so good 
to send out the first payments um, to Carolicious um, and to Oasis Vegan Veggie Parlor and to mm-hmm. Tawakal Halal Cafe. These are all um, immigrant owned people of color who are serving, you know, kind of underrepresented food. Um, and it's not like a grant, you know, it's not a huge sum of money. Um, but it's a couple hundred dollars that they didn't have yesterday. And I think at this point, every little bit helps. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, I'll make sure to include a link so that people can continue to, to donate. Um, I just think it's, it's so wonderful that you're taking this on um, in Boston. I think you know, it's even as you're running a business yourself and you're thinking about the future and and your employees and I'm sure have been so like incredibly stressed. Um, I just, I think it's so wonderful. Um, So what, I guess I'm curious, like as you're trying to help um, and, you know, help support these other businesses, uh, I want to know what do you hope the future of this looks like? I mean, as I'm talking to other writers and restaurant owners and just even friends and family, there's everyone's just kind of like, well, we don't know what the future looks like. And I think for restaurant owners, this moment feels, you know, really scary and frustrating. And I'm just, I'm, I want to hear from you what you want to see yeah. in the future. I mean, it's overwhelming, honestly, Mm -hmm. Um, not just what's going on now, but to think about the future of social distancing and dining and um, looking at what's happening, like in China, for example, what is dining looking like there? Um, It's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot to think about. Um, And so, you know, to some extent, the way I cope with this is by trying to do things that are tangible and immediate. Um, And so raising a little bit of money for a business that is... it's helping me cope as much as it is about them, which I am like happy to say, you know, upfront. And I also think the truth is that a lot of these businesses probably won't rebound. Um, And so even if they're not going to reopen, hopefully we can help them pay off their last couple of bills or support their employees who might be out of a job. Um, My hope generally is that once we sort of start to come out of this, that diners will be even more aware of how their choices impact the businesses that they're supporting or not supporting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's more awareness than ever about small business and um, including the restaurant industry. Um, all of the drama about Shake Shack and Ruth's Chris, you know, taking mm-hmm. the, the loan money um, mm-hmm. designated for small businesses. I think that diners are going to be thinking more about sort of voting with their dollar and really considering the implications that their spending has for especially these very small um, sort of invisible businesses that don't necessarily get tons of media attention. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, speaking of conversations I've had with other writers, we've been looking at each other like, okay, you know, how were we complicit in, you know, not teaching the dining public where they're dollars, you know, really, really matter and where they should be spending them and how they should be spending them. Because I think there's been, and since all of this happened, there's been an influx of stories like, you know, call the restaurant directly to order takeout, don't go through the apps. And, right. you know, like, should there articles even debating, should you order takeout or not do that? And I think, you know, food media has to look at itself too and, and look at, okay, 
how can we make things better going forward as well and make sure diners, you know, like you said, understand the impact of their dollar at certain certain restaurants. Yeah, totally. And, you know, what's funny is we did this big event, um, the Open Book Open House, uh, just days before um, we were ordered to close. Um, mm-hmm. And so in that event, we actually just we made public um, the May May profit and loss statement from 2019. Um, and there was an Eater article that sort of walked through all of our expenses. Um, and that was the kind of look under the hood that we provide to our team at May May. So Open Book is all about providing that transparency and setting them up with the tools to help influence the numbers. Um, but The reason we did that public event is because there was part of me that was like, I'm tired of explaining this. And I'm tired of diners who really care and who really mean well, not understanding some of the very kind of core dynamics of how spending your money at a restaurant actually impacts that business. And so we did share like all of the commission rates um, of our third party delivery options. And I'm, I'm loving seeing all of this sort of come to light and seeing diners say like, wow, I never thought about that. Um, Anyone who's been on our side of the restaurant knows that there are all these little details, all these things that go into it. Um, And so it's exciting to see people paying more attention to that. Yeah, I'm, I'm also hopeful that it's a good thing and hopefully it has like a lasting impact on, you know, the way our, the restaurant industry looks in the future. Um, So I definitely want to spend some time talking about your takeout menu. I'm, so jealous <laughs> that people can pick up uh, dumplings to like cook at home. Um, as someone who is like a big fan of the cookbook you have with your siblings, um, I, I'm just like very jealous of people in Boston who have the opportunity to eat made <laughs> dumplings at home. Yeah, it's been really fun to kind of try to figure out the best way to not only sell food, but to stay engaged with our guests and the people who we know really care about our business. So last week, we launched the virtual dumpling classes. Um, You know, everything can happen on Zoom now. And dumpling classes is one of those things. Um, And our team really, they just took our normal dumpling class content and sort of transformed it into an online format. And now folks can either prep their own mise en place, or they can come by the restaurant um, to pick up the things that we are permitted to sell to them. Um, And then everybody makes dumplings together. Um, It's super fun. And I think, you know, this is one of those things that we never would have done it um, before Mm -hmm. the pandemic. It wouldn't have occurred to us. It would have seemed totally absurd. Um, And now we are selling out just about every class that we're listing. Um, And I think that, you know, these being dark times, uh, dumplings <laughs> hopefully can bring a little bit of um, light and uh, enjoyment to everyone's life. So the idea that we can still kind of convene people and, and have that relationship with them while there's cooking and food going on, that's been really nice. Um, so there are a lot of, you know, little bright spots, um, even in this sort of dark time. Mm-hmm. And I want to add that, you know, in addition to the completed dumplings, you can also buy the dumpling kit, which is so helpful. <laughs> I feel like yeah. it's a time saver. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we are all about people cooking at home um, and sort of 
thinking about food as an adventure and not something that needs to be intimidating or scary. Um, And we really wrote the cookbook, Double Awesome Chinese Food, with that in mind. And so the dumpling kit is also all about that. Like, yeah, you can totally do this. Like, you'll figure it out. It's going to be great. Um, (laughs) And so anything where we can influence people to cook at home and and maybe try something they've never tried before, build up their confidence, um, that always is like a great feeling for us. As the news of coronavirus reverberates throughout the world, we at HRN are especially concerned about how coronavirus will impact our food system. We will use our platform to support the restaurant, agriculture, hospitality, and other food-related industries by maintaining our coverage and operations. As social distancing becomes the temporary norm, podcasts are more important than ever. There's never been a more crucial time to stay informed about the state of our food system and the way that food connects our global community. We're sharing all of our COVID-19 coverage at heritageradionetwork.org slash COVID-19. From interviews with nonprofit leaders and journalists to firsthand accounts from chefs and restaurant owners to reports on how the crisis is affecting regional farms. Our team is working remotely from all over to keep food radio alive. HRN needs your support more than ever to keep sharing essential stories and resources with our listeners. Make a donation of any amount. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. So I'm curious, what are you eating right now? What's, um, what's been fueling Irene through these well, uh, days? <laughs> I mean, carbs are my love language. Um, So I would say I am really practicing a lot of self-love right now. Um, Like a lot of pasta dinners with garlic bread on the side. Um, Gotta do it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, pretty great. Um, I drink a lot of smoothies, um, which can be helpful because I am often running around during what would be considered normal mealtimes. And my spouse and I have been cooking together, which is really nice. This is the most cooking at home we've ever done in the time that we've known each other. So it's been fun to kind of like plan meals um, and, you know, work with what we have in our fridge and in the cupboard. um, And then, because we have access to um, distributors, we can order in like special things sometimes. So that's a, a fun little treat too. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so, you know, as I said before, there's definitely, there's a link um, to the Unsung Restaurants Fund that you should definitely go and donate to if you can. Uh, but what else can diners do, um, not just at this moment, but going forward to support these restaurants in the future? I think in the near term, um, buying gift cards, buying merch if people have it, all of that is is really helpful in terms of immediate cash flow. Um, and then also like hanging on to those gift cards, like not spending them right away, that is what helps the most. Um, 
ordering takeout and delivery to the extent that you feel it's safe to do so, um, if they have a curbside option, um, and also trying to order in bulk um, to sort of minimize either your exposure um, to the outside or a delivery person's exposure. Um, so I think, let's see, three weeks ago, I ordered enough Indian food for probably five days from my favorite <laughs> Indian restaurant, and we still have some of it in the freezer. So I'm like pretty excited about that. I think also just making sure that in the future, when we think about what restaurant we want to try, we are considering, like, who are the people behind it? What's the story? Um, what's the mission, if there is one? And is this a restaurant that gets tons of press? Um, and if not, you know, maybe we can tell our friends about it. And if yes, um, like, that's great. But I don't know, for me, um, peering into the world of like restaurant and industry PR has been very illuminating, I guess. Um, yes. <laughs> and what seems so organic, I think, to diners is like very carefully constructed um, and paid for by, you know, businesses and, and their investors. Um, and so I think that you know, looking for those hidden gems, um, finding a journalist, a writer who covers businesses that you don't always see listed. Um, those are really valuable sort of steps to take. And then when you find that hidden gem or you discover, you know, some restaurant or maybe a cuisine that you've never tried before, like tell everyone you know about it. Um, word of mouth is really one of the most powerful things in this industry where, you know, People can write Yelp reviews, they can write formal reviews in newspapers, but there's nothing like a friend telling you, like, I just had this amazing meal at this incredible place that I had never heard of. Um, that is very powerful. And so the more people can do that, I think the better. That's amazing. Um, you know, I have to say it again, the link in the bio is where you can donate. And um, I, everything you said, I was like sitting here nodding. Um, this is why in person <laughs> is so great because <laughs> you would see me like nodding, being like, yes, yes. Um, but it's so true. I mean, the restaurants that have the most press, you know, it's well orchestrated and it's kind of like pop music where it's engineered to like kind of get stuck in your head and you'll be like, oh, I've heard about this new restaurant. We should try that out. And Definitely. so restaurants get left out of that ecosystem because they can't afford to hire the PR agencies that have contacts at top publications. So um, I'm really happy to hear you say that. Yeah, I also, I think about, um, you know, writers like Jonathan Gold and mm -hmm. um, people like uh, MC Slim here in Boston who are really willing to go out of their way to try something new and then give it the same level of care and attention that they would give to, you know, a celebrity chef opening um, somewhere else in the city. And I think that, uh, you know, in loving memory of Jonathan Gold, I think these are the kinds of restaurants um, that we hope that, you know, folks are thinking about and that we, we think he would love if he were still here and, and able to dine out in Boston. Yes, yes. Um, Jonathan Gold, for listeners who aren't familiar, um, is a late food critic uh, for the LA Times who made a made it a mission to really like um, talk about and champion restaurants that didn't have like the exact kind of restaurants that Irene and I are talking about restaurants that didn't have access to like massive PR budgets. And by doing so, he really helped create this really interesting culinary map of Los Angeles where it really highlighted the incredible amount of diversity in that city. Um, 
And if you haven't read Jonathan Gold, I absolutely recommend it. Um, he's the first food critic to win a Pulitzer because his writing was just so gorgeous and beautiful. Um, mm. And MC Slim has been covering Boston's food scene for so long. And I agree, does a really good job of making sure he's highlighting and exploring and covering restaurants that are, you know, not being repped by the latest like PR agency. So totally very happy to hear him get a shout out. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the first time he's come up on the show. And like, I definitely remember when I lived in Boston, like, and even now I still follow him, but living in Boston being like, okay, he talked about this place. I need to go check it out. Totally. Yeah. I love reading his writing and I think I, I'm always learning about new places from him. So that's um, always exciting for me. Oh, so great. Um, I know you have a million and one things to do, so I don't want to take up too much of your time, but thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about the work that you're doing. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Korsha. This is a real treat and, um, you know, just hope that folks will remember to reach out to the restaurant around the corner um, and, you know, keep checking on each other and, and exercising the, the generosity that I think has really been inspiring all of us these days. Yes. And I think one of the words that's come up the most in our conversation is hope. And I think, you know, that's, that's what we got right now. And I'm hopeful that this will be like a meaningful and impactful moment in this industry. Yeah. Thanks to people like you. Thanks to the work of chefs like you who are, you know, trying to help and help restaurants that need it. It's really yeah. great. I mean, we're, again, we're really fortunate in our position at Maymay, and we recognize that we we are not an island, right? Like, we need this whole industry. Um, we need our colleagues and our neighbors. Um, and so if there's more that we can do to use our platform, um, that's always going to be our first choice. If we can sort of help anyone in our community, um, we need each other. Um, and the Boston restaurant scene, the diners, too, have always been so supportive of us and what we're doing. Um, you know, even when we were just starting out, even when we were very confused about what it meant to run a restaurant. And so a lot of it is about giving back and also paying forward. Excellent. Thank you so much, Irene. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Korsha. Take care. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.